And uh, I thought, yes, that is exactly right. As we hear of, of voices that are being expressed of need uh, and our representatives in Parliament, they're hearing the voices, but they're not listening to what the voices are saying. And in some instances, they're making decisions these days that seem to go against what the people on the ground uh, are asking for, desperately asking for help. Listening, hearing, but not listening. I don't know what uh, Jacinta Price's knowledge of the Bible is, but she appears to be echoing the counsel that the Apostle James has written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Jewish Christians who are scattered around in many places. Life wasn't easy for them. I shared this with you uh, on the last time I was here talking about the things that we will face uh, in this year. They face temptations, not only as migrants in a foreign land, but particularly as those who were followers of Jesus Christ. And James, in his letter, writes encouragement to them, praying that they'll remain steadfast, persevering in their walk with Jesus. But we come to this uh, section again in chapter 1, in this letter of encouragement. The verses that Jerry has just read to us give wise counsel that's as relevant to us today as it was for those scattered believers almost 2,000 years ago. In James, 1, chapter, uh, James chapter 1, verse 19, he says, Every person should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And I want very briefly just to look at these in turn. So, are we going to go? No, ah, there we go. Thank you. Listen carefully. Let every person be quick to hear. The interaction of speaking and listening, speaking and listening, forms the most basic means of communication that we as human beings enjoy. Now, I know that seeing is also important. But, you know, when what we see is expressed in our minds in words. You, you, you just take that on board. What we see, we express in our mind as words. For instance, nature's beauties speak to us. If you ask me, you know, about a sunset, I don't say, oh, it's just a beautiful thing. I, I, I use words to describe the sunset. The visible images of people speak to us, even looking at you now, you're speaking to me. I, 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 I'm understanding what I see in words. I see gray hair. I see some who don't have gray hair. I see different skin color. I'm expressing it in words. And so words are important. The actions we see of those around us speak to us. They tell us a story about the person, about the context. But James' counsel to these uh, Christians has a much more focused context. And he bookends this listen, speak, have control. He bookends it neatly for us. In verse 18, we read, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. And at the other side of it, in verse 21, 
He says, receive with meekness the implanted word. The word of truth, the implanted word, and in between he uses or gives us instruction, listen, speak, and deals with anger. And that's the context of what he's doing. James is expressing his pastoral concern for these scattered Christians that they will be ever ready to listen to the word of God, to take opportunity to listen, to learn, and to grow. That's why it's good to hear that you're going to have a men's study group. Uh, I've often said, yeah, I wish that in the church that I was in, there was one. You often get a ladies group. I think there are reasons for that, of course. You know, ladies historically have been able to meet during the day where men are often at work. Uh, so we know they understand the history of it. Times are changing. Uh, but it's, you know, the opportunity for men to get together to study God's word is indeed limited and it's encouraging to hear that you're looking at that. Take every opportunity to listen, to learn and to grow. The revelation that God has given us is the word of truth. In a world that we hear many people express my truth. God's word is the word of truth. The gospel that has transformed our life is the implanted word of God, Christ in us, the Word. But there's another context here too, and again it's historical. These scattered Christians didn't have access, as we do, to the internet. They would have no idea what the internet was. And they also had very limited access to printed material. The printing press was still about a thousand years ahead of them. No concept at all. L written literature was very scarce. And also education would have been such that not all of them would have been able to read, even if they could. So much of the gospel account was still an oral tradition brought by faithful followers of Jesus. It was the spoken word. Learning was by listening to what the servants of the gospel taught. And the importance of listening, hearing, is summed up beautifully for us, isn't it? In when Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 10, verse 17, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So you see the means that God has given us. He gives us the word of truth. We have to listen to it. And through listening to it, we find truth that is applicable and important for our lives. But listening with care, of course, is problematic, is it not? After giving the parable of the sower, where Jesus started, he said, listen up, I'm going to tell you a story. And so he gave the story of the parable of the sower. But at the end of it, what did he say? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You're hearing, but are you really hearing what is being said? Are you taking it on board? There are times when you hear words spoken, but between what we hear and receiving their importance and meaning, between those two things, we erect blocks and filters. 
don't know if you do know that or not. We put up blocks and filters. For instance, we can be impatient. We're unwilling to take the necessary time to really listen. We're too busy. I have a dear wife who will say to me, Moffat, you're not listening. Now I see a smile. You're not really listening. She's saying something to me, but my mind is not quite there. I put a block up, partial block, and I'm not really hearing what she's saying. And she has to come again and say, Moffat, this is what I've asked you. Probably the football match is on or something like that, or the cricket's on, and uh, you know that's where my attention lies. Maybe we want to be the spotlight, the center of attention. We think that what we have to say is more important than whatever it is that somebody is saying to us. And so we're kind of pushing always for them to finish so I can have my say. We don't listen because we don't feel the other person has anything of great value to say, whereas I do. At times we want to prove how smart we are, how wise, how qualified, how witty we are, and we fail to listen. Sometimes we don't listen because we really don't care about what we call objective truth. It's that idea of my mind's made up. Don't confuse me with facts. Our desire is to get the speaker to change his or her mind to agree with my opinion. And so we don't really listen. Well, let me ask you this. Is the word of God, this revelation that he has so graciously given to us of such minor importance that we give little priority to it in our daily lives, no time to read the words and to listen. Is the Lord himself someone who appears only at the edges of our consciousness while the so-called wisdom we derive from the secular marketplace takes center stage? Does our Savior really have such of little value to say that he's not really worth listening to? Do we consider our level of secular education and qualification? They put us on a par with divine wisdom. And so we will learn little from what God would say to us through his word. Well, friends, this is what sin has brought into our lives. It filters, it blocks, it rejects, it mocks what the divine voice would say to us through the scriptures. It's a form of captivity, an imprisonment of our spirit. And that's exactly why our Lord Jesus came into this world, to set us free from that captivity. This is the great gift of grace that we gain through faith in Jesus. William Matson was a congregational minister in England uh, and towards the end of the uh, 19th century. And he wrote a hymn, and this is one of the verses. Lord, I was deaf, 
I could not hear the thrilling music of thy voice, but now I hear, I hear thee and rejoice, and all thine uttered words are dear. Here's a man who came to understand that he had to listen carefully, and as he listened, he rejoiced in the wonder of God's revelation. So we must be quick to listen. Secondly, we must be slow to speak. Speak wisely. I often remember a, a work colleague. I was still an apprentice just a few years ago uh, back in Scotland. And uh, uh, in the end of my apprenticeship, I was being moved in towards uh, a sales um, area of the business, working with Honeywell, big American company at that time. And uh, one of my jobs was as people were placing an order, I had to find out when the order could be produced through the factory process. And I had to call a, a particular gentleman, I guess he was a controller, a scheduler, whatever the title would be. And he had in some ways a bit of an annoying practice in that you would ask him a question and wonder if the phone had gone dead because he always took time to answer. Even when we sat together sometimes in the staff canteen and we would be eating and even in general conversation, ask him a question and he would, he would masticate for a bit chewing his food for a bit, and then he would answer. And, you know, it could be so frustrating to, to, to have a conversation with him. But I learned that when that man, particularly in the scheduling, when he gave a time when the order could be produced, it generally was produced according to his word. And I learned a lesson from that. He was slow to speak, but what he did say was worth holding on to. That was him, and I always remember him. The book of Proverbs has much to say about speaking hastily, speaking rashly, without thought. He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. He who answers before listening, there's that relationship again. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Yeah, isn't it so, you know, somebody says something to us and immediately we've got an answer and they say, well, that's not actually what I asked. You didn't really listen to what I was saying. And you feel like a fool. And the, a third one, there are many more of these. I've just uh, pulled out one or two. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Yeah. Being a good listener and being slow to speak go hand in hand. We cannot listen if we are already talking. We will always learn more if we keep silent. We will never say the wrong thing if we remain silent. Interesting, isn't it? 
never say the wrong thing if we don't open our mouths. Words have the power to build up or destroy. The Bible has a lot to say about the tongue, doesn't it? And James will be talking about that a little bit later. He comes to it again. Um, words have the power to build up or destroy, to enlighten, to exasperate, to build up or destroy. Words can lead people in the right direction or can lead them astray. Words can scar people for life. Think about those, and I'm sure we've come across them, who have spent their lives haunted by, by, by the fact that someone has, has said to them that they're ugly, they're fat, they don't have any talent, they're worthless. I'm sure you've heard of, of children growing up, we know of some, growing up, who, who, who parents really gave them the sense that we didn't really want you. You're worthless. Our words matter, and we should be very careful in how we use them. How often have you said, oh, I wish I hadn't said that? I wish I hadn't said that. We've all said things that hurt or make a situation worse. We may say we're sorry. I didn't really mean what I said. But the words are already out there and have done damage. Retraction of words once spoken is difficult. And they can stay impact on people's lives for years to come. It's interesting, and we must take note, Jesus told us that we will give an account on the last day for every careless word we speak. Now that's sobering, isn't it? Before we speak, we should always make sure we understand the issue. What we are saying is true. What we are saying is appropriate. What we are saying is helpful, building up and not bringing down. And this must be applied in the context of, David, uh, of James's counsel in handling the word of truth, the implanted word. Now, we must, of course, realize that it's right at times to speak up. We should never always simply remain silent. Have you ever found yourself again in a situation where you wished you had spoken instead of remaining silent? Huh? Yeah, we can get there. Oh, I wish I had said that at that time. Too late now. I wish I had said it. I didn't speak up. Friends, we need to speak up when wrong is being done. We need to speak up and tell people about Christ, lest they perish eternally. That's when we need to speak. We have a, a, a message of good news to present, and we must speak up as the opportunities open up before us, as we take the opportunities, not wishing that, oh, the, that door was open to me and I kept my mouth closed. Speak up, speak out. We must confront the noisy but faulty reasoning of this world. However, we should respond thoughtfully, lovingly, and carefully. The Apostle Peter tells us, always be prepared to give an answer 
to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Speak up, speak out. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, maliciously against your good behavior in Christ, they may be ashamed of their slander. You've spoken kindly, graciously to them. There's no comeback on that. So, be slow to speak, but don't keep your mouth closed. Speak up when it's necessary. And thirdly, very quickly, exercise control. Be slow to anger. Do you know that the most common appearance of anger in the Bible is God's anger. God's rage, God's anger against sin. Sin offends his perfect righteousness. Now it's interesting to note that we in our Western societies have become so sensitive to being offended and express anger because of that offense, yet we have no concept that our God is offended because of mankind's hatred and rejection of him. It's okay for us to be offended, but we've no concept that God can be offended. But God's anger is a just anger because he has done nothing wrong. And all that he's provided, and the good for mankind, every good and perfect gift is from above. It comes from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is a good God. He's given us life, a world to live in, joy in, in a beautiful environment that we live in. He's given us a Savior. But man's anger against God is unjust because they reject his true assessment of our spiritual condition. That's why we get angry with God. We don't like it because God has a true judgment of who we are and where we were at. To be told that they will face a day uh, sorry, to be told that men and women are sinners cuts across man's kind, mankind's pride of life. You're sinners. That makes them angry. Be told, be, to be told that they will face a day of accounting before the Almighty cuts across mankind's sense of self-control. No, I'm in charge. Not accountable. And that makes them angry. To be told that they cannot save themselves cuts across mankind's sense of self-reliance. That also makes them angry. Yes, the message of the gospel does sound offensive. God tells us exactly how he sees us. And we are offended by it. But the offense of the gospel is fully covered by the offer of forgiveness and reconciliation through the call to repentance and faith in Jesus. That's why the gospel is not an offensive uh, message. It's a message of good news. Christ died for us, the just one, for the unjust 
that he might bring us to God. But man is angry with that. Sadly, many a congregation of God's people, and you would like to think that <laughs> in coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior and knowing this joy of salvation, knowing that we are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that anger will no longer be a characteristic of our daily lives. We would like to think that. You know, we brought into a relationship of peace and of love, of mercy, of great kindness. Where does anger fit in with that? Sadly, anger still lurks within the hearts and minds of the followers of Jesus. I was reading just this morning uh, in my um, daily reading uh, from 2 Corinthians, and Paul is writing in chapter 12, and he's talking about coming to, them, uh, to, to the Corinthian church. And he writes this, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. He's writing to believers. You think, well, what a terrible church that is. I'm going to want to be a member of that one. But many is a congregation of God's people, indeed many a Christian family, many a Christian mission enterprise has been shattered by outbursts of anger. Outbursts of anger. I've seen it on occasions, and I've been there, even when men are discussing the scriptures. They get angry with each other because they can't agree over a particular text or a particular meaning. When someone cannot get their thoughts adopted by the fellowship, they become angry. Many a church business meeting descends into chaos and acrimony because of angry interventions. Anger inflicts wounds that can take a long time to heal. The scars remain. Anger can lead to ongoing feelings of resentment, bitterness, an unwillingness to forgive, and can create a sour spirit. Anger can poison our lives and undermine our relationships. Anger is generally a reaction. Too often it's an impulsive reaction, an action that is out of control. And James calls us to think and listen before we react so that we don't react destructively. Again, the wisdom of Scripture has much to say. Proverbs again, a patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. A gentle answer, and I use this one often, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Writing to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul tells us that anger gives the devil a foothold in our lives. Now, again, as in speaking, there are times when we ought to be angry. We are to be angry at the injustice 
uh, uh, injustice and sin. Remember our Lord Jesus himself was angry with the money changers in the temple and he cast them out because of the way that they compromised the temple and God's honor. And Paul tells us, doesn't he, be angry, be don't, but don't sin. And we call this a righteous anger. I don't know if you have been conscious on Channel 10 recently of a comedian who said a very nasty thing about our Lord Jesus. Um, some of you may know, I certainly would never dare repeat what he said, but it caused a lot of reaction. He was a so-called comedian, it wasn't funny, um, but the immediate reaction is anger. And that is a true anger, a righteous anger, that someone would bring the name of our Lord Jesus into such oh, disrepute, gutter language, shocking. And he would do it on a national television program. It's right to be angry about that. But how do we react? Do we react in an angry way? Or do we react in a way that will attempt to turn around the understanding that that particular young man has as to who Christ is? And that's what James is looking for. Be angry, but don't sin. You know, don't return anger for anger. Where anger exists and it's right, we respond with grace. We're looking for change in a person's life. And simply being angry against them is not going to change. Standing up in the street with a banner in anger is not going to change a person's life. One of the things that I do, and I think I've mentioned this to you before, uh, I read the newspaper online, uh, get the Australian, and I read it online. And when I see something that I would consider is anti-Christian, I take the opportunity that the comments pages give me to write and express my disappointment, but more often than not, to give a verse of scripture that would be an argument against what the person has said. Joy did that with that Channel 10. She said, I'm going to write to them. And so she wrote and she expressed a disappointment and then she quoted uh, a verse of scripture. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are good, uh, are true, whatsoever things of good report, think on these things rather than the scurrilous de uh, denunciation of who our Lord Jesus Christ is. Let the word of God Speak. Let it take its place. Let it do its work. God's word will not return to him void. James continues and gives us a strategy. He says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. Humbly accept it. Don't come at it with filters. Don't come at it with blockages. Don't come at it with worldly wisdom. 
come to it as God's word and accept it as the word that God has given to you. It's the best of advice that, John, that James gives. The highest level of counsel as it comes to us from the heart of the Lord. One last thing I would note. These injunctions to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, get rid of, etc. are all in the present tense. That means it's not a once for all action that we have to take, but it's an exercise that we need to repeat more and more and more throughout our days. And here we close. I'm quoting from the Amplified Version of the Scripture. Let the spoken word of Christ have its home within you, dwelling in your heart and mind, permeating every aspect of your being as you teach spiritual things and admonish and train one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Listen carefully. Speak carefully. Control the emotions. Bring them under the authority of Christ. And we'll live to his praise. Let's pray together. Father, it's only a few words from your, the revelation that you've given to us. And yet they do speak so clearly to us. We can connect to them. They're part of the experience of our lives. And Lord, we do pray that we will learn the lesson that you are giving to us through your servant, James. We want to hear your voice. So give us ears to hear. We want to speak your truth. So give us a knowledge of what that truth is. We want to speak in love. So help us, Lord, we pray, to express that in our families, in our places of work, in our places of recreation, wherever we are, in order that we might bring praise and honor to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.